0: And welcome back to another episode of Space in 60. I'm your host, Clint Grauman, and we also have my partner in crime, Chad Baker. Yep. Unfortunately, Thruster is not with us today. Yep. Couldn't make it. A little bit tied up. Andrew Pulipchuk, our, our third partner in this endeavor that we call Space in 60. But there's been a lot going on in the industry that I think it's worth talking about today. And we've got a great guest coming on. But one of the things that really caught my attention this week was that here in the U.S., we've cataloged 1,700 new orbital debris since Russia's ASAT test, up from 1,500 a couple of weeks ago.
1: That's just absolutely crazy You think about counting that many and how many more are probably still to
0: be identified out there and and cataloged. Yeah. And, you know, doing a spacewalk is already risky. And everyone's really working to understand what the risks are to people in space, to our spacecraft, to the space station, with all of this debris out there. And then, you know, for someone, a country, to perform that type of Test and create thousands of new pieces of debris that are moving at thousands of miles per hour. The kind of destruction that that could cause is just unimaginable. Yeah, it's crazy. The one thing with it, at least it's
1: hitting the mainstream now. I think a lot of people in the space industry have known this is a problem, but at least it's getting the full attention that it needs and deserves for the problem that it is, and you know the the problem it's going to become.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, with 1,700 pieces of debris, that means, you know, every 90 minutes, the space station is going to be coming in proximity or have to consider that debris field as it orbits. I don't know. It's just, it's nuts.
1: (laughs) As much as I'd like to be in space at the same time, I'd be kind of looking over for
0: things whizzing over my shoulder. (laughs) Yeah. It's just kind of a shooting gallery up there these days, but you know, there's that and with the other things that we have going in the, in the industry, I can't wait to talk to our next guest and to find out his opinion. But you know we've also got, you know the the recent email that Elon Musk sent around to to all of SpaceX about the possibility of of bankruptcy. I'd love to get the opinion of our of our next guest on that. And you know at the the same time, we're seeing some really cool stuff. You and I both, and as well as thruster, Andrew Chuck, we all have a, a vested interest in what's going on in the earth observation industry. And we're seeing the, the Australian space agencies release their earth observation roadmap. I can't wait to to read and find out about what's going on there as well. Absolutely.
1: The insights that he'll be able to bring to some of this, just from the work he does and his team, it's kind of tough coming up with stuff because I, I read their newsletter every day and try to get ideas of what to talk about, but don't want to get into anything too
0: deep that he's going to get into during the interview. Yep. Speaking of who it is, I guess we've... uh We've not told you who our guest is this week, but it's Mo Islam. He's the founder of Payload Space. You know, Mo has had a really exciting career. He was with Deutsche Bank, built a private placement business for a family office for investors. He's worked at JP Morgan, and now he's made his way into the space industry with some other colleagues that they've they've built a daily newsletter that I think it brings in a ton of value in what I read every day to get a quick digest of all the information of things going on in the industry. So without further ado, I would love to welcome Mo Islam as our next guest on Space and 60. Hey Mo, thanks for joining us today.
2: Clint, Chad, great to finally be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, Chad Baker's here as well, Chad. (laughs) Yep, still, still kicking yeah, but we've uh, we've run off our partner, Andrew Polipchuk. He had some other things to handle today, so we'll try to do this without him, although it's pretty tough. So Mo, again, thanks for joining the show. I, I actually read your newsletter every day. um and so it's a it's a pleasure to have you on here and uh, to learn more about who you are and what you do in the space industry.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Clint, and love your guys' podcasts and appreciate you guys having me on as a guest.
0: No worries. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. You know, I think you guys at Payload are doing a lot to give groups like Space News a run for their money and getting information out there about what's happening in the new space industry on a day-to-day basis. And I love to hear the stories, and I think Chad does as well, of the people in new space, how they get into the industry, and what you you bring to the industry. So I guess we'd love to hear about what you're doing and and how you're doing it.
2: Sure. So the origin story here. So we, we started, me and, and my co-founder Ari Lewis, we started payload really about a year ago. And our original product was a weekly newsletter. And we started it as a side side project. It was about last September. And we created it to help fill a gap that we felt that was present in the industry with regards to media coverage. And I I I I can't help but notice that you mentioned um, giving space news a run for, for for their money. I think, from our perspective, you know, space is a giant category, and there's a lot of news to report. So I really see a scenario where there can be multiple successful media companies that have you know built their sort of own niches. And for us, you know, the reason why we started it was. I guess I'll call it a pain point that I experienced in my previous career, you know, working on space research and trying to find out what was happening in new space. Like all of the startups that were raising capital, that were hitting all these very interesting milestones. And I just felt like they weren't being covered as extensively as they should have. And that's what really was the original impetus for for us to start Payload. And, you know, in the beginning, I think the the traction was just a lot better than we expected. We received a tremendous amount of positive feedback from a lot of industry professionals. We started to get public company CEOs signing up, which was sort of our sign that, okay, you know, maybe there's something here. Maybe we're onto something. So we decided to build a proper media business. And over the summer, we actually ended up raising a seed round from a number of amazing investors, which allowed us to go out and start hiring an all star team. Wow.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, I enjoy you know, reading all of the news that's, that's out on a daily basis in the space industry. And there's, there's frankly just so much happening right now. It's, it's, it's hard to keep up and having a daily digest to know what's going on is, is important. And, you know, when I said, you're, you're giving, you know, someone a run for their money on that there's as a leader in a, in a company, there's only so much bandwidth you can devote per day to the amount of input that you're taking in. And and you guys do a great job of, of digesting that for, for all of us every day.
2: Yeah, well, we, I definitely appreciate you saying that and, you know, as as much, as much as I'd like to think that a lot of that is me, it's not. I mean, it's Payload's it's been a team team effort for sure. I you mean, know, I spent the majority of my career on Wall Street doing various degrees of space investing and space research. But Ari is the guy with the media and policy background. He's consulted for um, uh, media companies. He started one of the largest tech associations in, 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 in Ohio. Ryan Duffy, who was actually our first hire, is our founding editor, and he joins us for Morning Brew. And you know, Morning Brew is a wildly successful newsletter, and he was part of Uh, of was responsible for for building out one of their most successful verticals for emerging tech group and he was very instrumental in taking us from like a weekly newsletter to a daily and i have some stories around you know us kind of contemplating and thinking about whether that was even a good idea but he really helped shape what the daily newsletter looks like today and of course we just recently hired rachel zisk who actually previously worked at the ft and popular science as a science writer so i I have to say that we built a great team. And it's interesting. It's a team of outsiders, right? None of us have actually, none of us are engineers. None of us have aerospace backgrounds per se. I think we all come to the table with a deep passion and interest for the sciences and what's happening in space. And I think that perspective has allowed us to create a product. And, you know, there's certain implications of the space industry that I think Sometimes you don't necessarily see when you're so grounded and focused on maybe one particular subsector. So I think I want to say that our our perspective will be super helpful. Um, And then in addition to that, the last thing I'll say on team is just, um, you know, we built this really great advisory board as well. Adam Ryan, who is the former president of The Hustle, which was a very, very successful newsletter itself. And he was an investor at the Chernit Group, which is a major private equity media shop. Salim Malkana, we just onboarded. He's a masterful at media product development. He's currently at NBC Universal and actually an aerospace engineer himself. So he's been very helpful in helping us think through like what the product should look like. And then finally, um, Justin Johnson, who's actually the former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space Policy. So he was on the team that created the Space Force. So all of these people come together and I think have, have helped really shape what the product looks like today. You know, we're excited for the future. You know, I think this new model, I mean, what we really did is just decided like, you know, news is being covered in a very particular way in space. Um, if you look at the media landscape as a whole, there are all these exciting changes in how media and the media model is being utilized in different industries. So for us, it was like, why don't we take sort of that media model and apply it to space? Because it's not, it hasn't been applied to yet. So what Morning Brew has done, what Axios has done, right? Smart, the idea of smart brevity, like in your inbox daily, like creating a habit for people that want to wake up every morning and Think if I want to know everything about an industry, I need to make sure I read this. So that's the kind of habit that we're trying to create with Payload.
1: So I love, it, and especially like you mentioned, the diverse group that you have there and kind of the unique perspective of bringing everything in. It definitely comes out and shows within the product. It's it's great. It is a you know morning cup of coffee, get things moving, and and kind of read up on what's going on.
2: Yeah, and, and we really we really tried to give the newsletter a voice because we want we want people to think. And this is, you know, again, thanks to the editorial team, like we want readers to feel like the newsletter is actually speaking to them and that there's sort of an interaction or we want folks to engage with us outside of like traditional metrics, like clicking, right? We want people to email us and like engage with us. And that's why we have a very, very obvious rule in our company. We respond to every email. <laughs> Anyone that sends us an email, doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's just like, love your newsletter. Or hate your you news. No, after you've been be. on the
0: show, there's no way you're going to be able to respond to every email.
2: <laughs> I was about to say, I watch just, what she asked, asked for. <laughs> I was you know, it's it's something I'm worried about for sure. But no, I think look, I think it's super important that we engage with our audience, good and bad. And we've re- we've received great feedback and we've received a lot of constructive feedback. And you know, outside of feedback, it's just, you know, individuals reaching out with questions or comments, and 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 we make a very important effort to make sure that we we cover all of those inquiries. And, you know, mainly because, you know, outside of the fact that we want to engage with our audience, like there's this massive opportunity that we see in and growing interest and demand for quality journalism and media coverage. We see a huge advertising opportunity within the new space industry. And we're really kind of thinking about how to build out the team to sort of execute on that vision.
0: How did you end up in space? I I think you said you were doing research with some of the work that you were doing, but what I've seen in the new space industry over the last 10 plus years is that there are a lot of people that the space really chose them that are the outsiders, you know, a team of outsiders in, in the business, whether that's launch, whether that's spacecraft, how did you guys all come together?
2: Yeah. So start with myself. I spent most of my career on Wall Street, nearly a decade, and most of that was spent at J.P. Morgan. And I held a number of different roles across both public and private markets, but notably spent a great deal of my career raising and investing capital in private technology businesses. And I focused my time primarily on deep tech, frontier tech, emerging tech. There's a lot of different, I think, terms for it. But basically, businesses where there is a science and engineering risk to getting the idea to actually work. And I worked on a few different industries, but space was one of my coverage areas, and I spent a great deal of time conducting, writing research, and dissecting business models. And space was something that I really kind of searched for and seeked out. I, I you know, I grew up, like most, I'm sure you guys as well, like grew up wanting to be an astronaut. And of course, that itch never goes away. And then for one thing or another, um, you know, in college, I ended up pursuing um, economics and you know, once I got to Wall Street in New York, I very quickly realized that I needed to figure out a way to get back to what I always loved, which was the space industry. And how do I, if I can't um, be an engineer, right, what else can I do? And maybe there's something on the capital market side that I can help out with, whether it's raising capital, investing capital, and and supporting the space economy in a different way. So really, that was myself. And then I would say Ari, my co-founder, I mean, he doesn't really have a space background, but he has a media background. And I think for him, it was more opportunistic. I think he saw a lot of exciting things happening in the industry. He saw sort of my passion and enthusiasm for it. And I think it just sort of um, helped kind of capture his, own, his attention and, and desire to want to work on this project with me. And I definitely couldn't have done it without him because he's the one that really understands the media side of things. And then Rachel and Ryan, I mean, they've been technology and science writers for most of their life. So space was always something that they've written about and covered, maybe not exclusively, but I think when we presented them the idea of like, hey, I I know you guys are seeing what's happening in in, in the space economy and all the growth that we're seeing. Like, Do you wanna be a part of sort of building a media organization for what we think will be the most important industry in the world in about five years, right? And I think that was an easy sell for them. But I think of course, at the end of the day, you need that regardless of where you're coming from, right? You need at least that passion, some type of passion or interest in space. Or else, like you, you just—it's really difficult to succeed.
0: You know, the the real test of whether you've got that passion for space is if you're a launch junkie. Like, do you ever <laughs> go and sit on the beach and watch the launches as they happen?
2: Yeah. So I got to see my first opportunity was the Falcon Heavy ArabSat mission, which was in 2019. If memory serves me correctly, it was like April or May of 2019, and I was actually in between two different roles, and I had basically three weeks off and. I was trying to decide what to do in those three weeks, and obviously, no one wanted to go on vacation with me. Like it's like last minute, like so. I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna book a flight to Orlando and and spend a week in in Orlando and Cape Canaveral. I don't know how many people say that, but I ended up going there, and and what, I've actually learned a couple of different things. One that if you ever go to a launch. You never book your travel in advance. You book it the day before, <laughs> and I learned that the hard way. And so, what was supposed to be like a two-day trip ended up being like a week-long trip. But you know, it's 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 spectacular. It's it's really it's really life-changing to see a launch in person. And I actually got to see the Crew Three launch um, a couple weeks ago from Kennedy Space Center. And I mean, you know, a night launch is just absolutely amazing. And you know, I keep showing the video to people all the time. They're like, "Dude, you've shown me this video." Like, <laughs> so I, I'm like, kind of in that. I'm still in that very geeky, like just, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's truly incredible. If there's one thing, regardless of whether you care about space or you're interested in space or not, I think one, I, I highly recommend to anyone to go and see a launch because it does, maybe it's not life-changing for you. some For some people it is, but it truly is like an awe-inspiring event to see that happen. So anyway, am I a launch junkie? To the extent that I can go and see a launch, I will always take that opportunity to do so.
0: Yeah, it's a changing experience for sure. The roar and the thunder and the feel of, especially that launch, the one that that was your first with the Falcon Heavy, I was at that launch as well. And landing the boosters afterward was a surreal experience. Yeah. And, you know, and I I think about the outrageous pace, not outrageous in a bad way, in a great way, of, you know, I think maybe you both have seen the news that, that came out today of the internal email that Elon Musk sent out with. Hey, we've got to keep up a pace of what was it, every 2 weeks with Starship to avoid bankruptcy, you know, to be able to get there and that's an incredible statement, but wow, a Starship every 2 weeks.
2: Yeah, no, there's a couple of really cool pieces out there that talk about this, but Starship is definitely one of those it's a vehicle, but I don't, I don't even want to call it a vehicle because it's going to be so much more important than that, but really it's truly going to change the game. And I don't think most people including myself have any idea of what the impact is going to be and how vast the impact is going to be. So it's so crucial. And, and by the way, that email that was floated around, it's very Elon esque, right? So
0: you know, he has to know that it's going to get out when you, <laughs> when you send it to all,
2: absolutely, it's absolutely. intentional. It's absolutely intentional. And by the way, representing the media side of things, I've learned that SpaceX is not, you know, their media strategy is Elon right? Elon and his Twitter account, right? So, you know, there's no question about it that when he sent that email, he knew it was going to be leaked. And I think for him, it's just to create a sense of urgency, right? I think he just, he's very good about that. He's very good about rallying the troops. And I think that that was really the point of it. Like, was it probably a little dramatic? I'd say yes, but you know, there's definitely a lot of truth to it, right? So uh, it'll be very exciting to see Starship fly. I think it was supposed to be later this year, but it's looking like it's going to be early next year. It's going to be a remarkable event.
0: Will you go to Boca Chica uh, to see the first?
2: When I was at the Crew-3 launch, I actually spoke to someone, I think fairly senior at SpaceX that I think would have, if there was anyone that would have gotten me a seat there, it would have been this person. And what I was told was, look, we don't, there's probably like three people who are going to get access to to actually see it. So if you want to see it, you can come to Boca Chica. And of course, like it's going to be hard to miss. But to answer your question, I don't see how I couldn't go. (laughs) <laughs> I think I'd have to go. Are you guys going to be there?
0: Yeah, I've I've had it on the agenda to go as as soon as we have the launch date. Like you, you can't plan these things too far in advance because they they just don't pan out very often. But I will say that the the schedule with SpaceX has been much more reliable. That if you if you miss a launch this week, just come back next week, you'll see one. But things have changed.
2: The only thing I would say though is that there's probably a lot less things to do in Brownsville than there is in Orlando, and it's a lot harder to get to.
0: Luckily I've got family there. Luckily I've got family there. So that's convenient.
2: Well, that is, uh, that is very convenient. <laughs> you have family in Brownsville.
0: I do. Yep. yep. Oh, wow. Longstanding family there. Um, haven't been there in a long time, but, uh, but when I was a kid, we used to drive down a bit. Oh, good. So we have a place to stay. We don't need to worry. <laughs> I, I'm not sure they'll let me back in. Uh, definitely not you, Chad. <laughs> I, just, I just
1: sleep on the porch. It's fine.
2: Yeah, that 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 real estate's gonna be worth quite something when Starbase becomes the uh the new kind of port to Mars. So I think that's it's that's exciting. It's exciting that you're gonna have family there mm-hmm. to kind of witness. I I I'm actually you don't have to answer this question because I'm sure there's a lot of
0: Well, you've asked me on the air, so I have to answer now. Fair enough. Don't don't let them off the hook.
2: <laughs> I'm just curious, like from a Brownsville resident perspective, like are, and, and maybe you don't have to answer for your family, but maybe just speaking for the community in general, what do they think of all this?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't know the opinion of the the residents in Brownsville other than what I've seen in the media, but I can say that I've been to the launch facility quite a few times up in Kodiak, the Pacific Spaceport in Alaska, and you know, I'd say that's where that's where Astra you know launches from, and and I was there quite a few times before Astra was part of the game, but one of the things that i can say is that it brings a ton of opportunity to that community and they benefit from it tremendously but there are a lot of people in the the local residency that they see it as something that's highly speculative government work and a lot of them worry about how you know a launch gone wrong can hurt the ecosystem you know that's in that area but we have seen that when there were things that happened in in this pacific spaceport that they did a tremendous job of taking care of the local residents, making sure that everything went well. And so you've got to think that some people that aren't as tied to the space industry have some concern, but the benefits are, are tremendous of having a place like this in your local area.
2: Right. Of course. It will be interesting to see, especially now that you know Elon plans to build a tunnel. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, there's going to be a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, the development there has just only gotten started.
1: I think you hit on something there good too with Elon and kind of letting that leak out and the push that he has on it. I think it helps the whole industry because then it pushes Blue Origin harder, pushes Virgin where maybe they're sitting back a bit more. But the, you know, the speed of new space needs that push from people just so it doesn't get kind of complacent. Not like it does, but that extra little bit of a nudge is is very powerful.
2: Absolutely. I think that nudge is... Well, look. He's been Elon's been nudging the industry for the last decade, right? And he's been doing an amazing job at it. I think you know to to go back to Clint. What you said earlier about the fact that he knew it was going to be leaked. SpaceX is in a really, really unique position, right? In their ability to do things like what just happened today, because you know they don't need to. They don't need a media team. They don't need to communicate. I mean, well, they need, I guess, arguably a PR team, but they don't need individuals to kind of think through, like, oh, how do you, how does SpaceX? you know, showcase what they're doing. And like, you know, Elon's always been like, let the product speak for itself, right? He's a, That's always been his mantra and, and they've been so successful at it. But generally speaking, like most other space companies can't do what Elon has the ability to do, right? And I'm kind of more tying all of this back. And I think it's an interesting story back to sort of like the opportunity that we've seen or we're seeing at Payload, which is this idea of like, companies needing to extend their distribution and companies needing to advertise, right? The idea of advertising in space is very new. And the idea of having, I mean, a lot of the space startups that we speak to don't have media teams or communications teams yet, right? And these are companies that have raised hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think speaking to that, there are just you know, insane amounts of venture capital that's being flown into the space industry. And I think last year was like 8 billion that was invested in startup space companies, which broke the previous record by something like a billion. And I can tell you that on the private side, right, as long as the Fed continues to do what they're doing, that's going to continue. They're going to continue seeing a lot of capital flow on the private side. And, and, and public markets have now expressed effectively that they're willing to fund R&D via SPACs and sort of the liquidity profile has gone more interesting. So, you know, obviously, there's, there's just been a vast amounts of capital being raised um, by space startups. But if you look on the advertising side, right, what SpaceX can do for free, but not anyone else can you know, a significant amount, something like 40%, right, of funding, when you think about traditional advertising goes to like the Googles, the Facebooks, and the Amazons of the world. If you look at the space industry, right, you've, you know, you have all these companies that have raised enormous amount of venture capital, they have to advertise, you can't go on Google or Facebook and set up ads, because you can't reach your audience there, right? The Space decision makers aren't on Instagram or Facebook, right? You can't find a space exec on any of those platforms easily—they're very hard to target. I mean, I'll ask you guys, Clint and Chad, like, when was the last time you saw an advertisement on Instagram of a launch ca- launch company selling payload capacity?
0: What's Instagram? I, I... <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
2: there, but uh, there you go. But uh, look, Instagram, Facebook—it's better. Like, that's just not an efficient way for space companies to advertise, and they need to advertise. And launch, especially, right? We've been taking, we've been, we spent a lot of this time here today talking about launch. But like, you look at launch companies. There's a ton of launch companies out there and you know we could probably devote a different podcast to talk about launch demand and you know how many launch startups will actually make it versus not and you know what that demand curve is going to look like for the next 10 years right but the reality is there's going to be a number of different winners and those number of winners are going to have to compete for payload and you know they they will need to advertise right that it's just the reality that they will and if you have a business focused on creating high quality unique content for niche audiences, all, all of a sudden you've created a place for advertisers to go and space companies will need to advertise Some of them have never spent any dollars on paid media. There's a huge value for them to do so right there are obvious reasons like actually selling a product or service maybe it's a satellite company selling imagery or, or a launch service provider you know providing payload capacity or an aerospace prime doing it for, Advocacy reasons. Maybe they want to reach a particular type of audience member, whether it's like a government official or an agency or whatever it may be. So space companies don't have the megaphone that Elon has, that SpaceX has, where he can just go and do whatever he wants to do. That doesn't, that's not something that's available to the rest of the space startups. And you know, we started payload, yes, because we love the industry and we saw a really interesting opportunity for us to build a, a media business using sort of the new digital media model, but you know for us to succeed, we have to make money, right? And the way we make money is advertising. And we saw an opportunity to basically create an advertising market in space that doesn't quite exist yet. Because most of these companies are just raising, now raising capital, hiring media teams, hiring marketing teams, and actually trying to figure out what their own kind of strategy is. So all this is just really exciting to us, right? Because we don't know exactly what's going to happen in in a year we don't know how big that industry is going to look like but we do think as long as the space industry if you take the sort of baseline assumption that space as an economy is going to grow and you know the the banks are saying that they're going to be multi-trillion dollar industries in the next 10 to 20 years like you could bet that advertising market is going to grow substantially and if that advertising market grows then the media media side of things continues to grow so sorry to take it in that direction but you teed me up there a little bit
0: It's great to see every facet of this business that's growing and changing. When I entered the industry, I mean advertising was was unheard of. I mean completely unheard of. And even today, the advertising market is I think something that's growing and changing as the market expands, but many of the businesses within this industry, you can still pick up the phone and call the leadership of most of the space companies that are not your legacy primes and and government contractors like that. But, you know, the top of mind awareness and cutting through the clutter. If you're a manufacturer of spacecraft, you know, making sure that, I mean, we're starting to see so many spacecraft manufacturers these days, people have to be able to understand what's available on the market. And with launch, we're starting to see more, a lot of of launchers as well. So I agree with you that that's definitely the path that things are moving, but I would like to take the conversation back to one thing that you touched on. And I thought you were going to hit it, but you didn't was SPACs. Like SPACs are just, you know, all the rage these days. And you've got a unique background in finance along with space and media. I would love to know what your thoughts are without going into any specific companies, like where are we at in SPACs? How's that changing the industry?
2: Yeah. I mean, the the SPAC market has been, of course, very positive for the industry itself, right? Now, the mechanism and how the previous, and I won't just speak to the space industry. Really, just in general, how those SPACs built their forecasts and what they utilized to sell the SPAC—that's questionable, right? In the very beginning, in the, in the early days, and you know, we saw spectacular failures and, and 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 comments of fraud and you know, crazy things happening over the last kind of year and a half in the SPAC market. But the SPAC vehicle as a mechanism to go public is clearly a very efficient mechanism to go public. And what it showcased, and I touched on it a little bit ago, was that what it's done now is it's primed the public market participants to be comfortable funding companies that don't have real revenue yet. Now, whether that's a good or bad thing, I would argue it's really neither. I mean, biotech has been doing it for years. Biotech companies go public, oftentimes before their drug is approved by the FDA. And all of that risk is taken up by the public markets, right? The public markets absorb that risk and are willing to take on that risk for that binary outcome. So that's existed in biotech forever, but now it's allowed industries, And of course that's allowed biotech to flourish, right? I mean, we have all these amazing products like Moderna. I mean, not to give away anything, but I'm deeply familiar with, with Moderna's business model, even before they went public. And I think that's a great example of a company that basically had no revenue that went public but that's normal, right? No one bats an eye on that. Like biotech companies lose 50% of their value overnight because they miss some trial or result in their drug studies, right? And people are like, oh, hey, well, that's just biotech, right? But it's allowed biotech businesses to really flourish and build in the public eye. Now what SPACs has enabled industries like SPACE to do is to do that, is to build publicly, to build and still kind of be an R&D phase and allow the public markets to take on that risk. Now, whether they should or shouldn't, sort of not my not my place to say, but that is the reality of what's happened. And I think what you're going to see now is right now the SPAC market has definitely cooled down, no question about it. And I think it's cooled down because there was a lot of conflicting arrangements that were really happening between, you know, the sponsor economics, meaning that the organization who was putting up the capital to put on the SPAC versus the management teams who are benefiting substantially. I mean, you were seeing founders right going from worth nothing to worth hundreds of millions of dollars overnight because of the SPAC economics. And Really, when the trade didn't go well, who was left holding the bag was the retail investor, right? So I think that needs to be solved. And the way it gets solved is you create longer-term incentive structures for the sponsor and for the founding team so that they can't just sell up for six months once the company goes public. And th- this is all to say that I think the SPAC as a mechanism to go public is has really helped the industry. I think it will continue to help the industry. And The fact remains that there's a few hundred SPACs out there right now that still, I think the last stat I read was like $130 in trust that are still searching for targets. And they have until the end of next year to find those targets because the way SPACs are structured, you get two years to find a target. Otherwise, you have to return the money, in which case the sponsor makes no money. They, in fact, lose the money that they put up to actually put the SPAC together. So clearly, I think in the back half of next year, you're going to see another wave of companies going public again, because the SPACs sponsors are going to get aggressive again. But I think the only way for them to get a deal done is they're going to have to create longer term incentive structures. So anyway, I say that I haven't been in the public markets for quite some time. So I may not know what I'm talking about. But that's just my perspective.
0: (laughs) That's really great insight. Like you said 130 billion in space related SPACs or SPACs in general? SPACs in general.
2: SPACs in general. But keep in mind, right? There are obviously space specific SPACs. There's plenty of space specific SPACs that are out there that have stated that they're, if you actually really look into their filings, it generally says their target is space, but they can look at other things. Right. Right. So they brand themselves as space SPACs, but they give themselves the optionality. The same way a lot of technology, like Frontier SPACs, there's a lot of technology SPACs out there that say, oh, we're going to focus on these industries, but we, we're going to focus on them, doesn't mean we're going to, we're tied to doing something in that industry. Uh, and I say that because you don't have to just look at the space SPAC market to see what's available out there for the space companies. I think you're going to see, I mean, I think maybe not all 130 billion or so is, is available to potentially space companies, but I think a good portion of that could easily go and focus on space. And I think it will, I think it will, because there's a lot of companies, I, I think you will see some mega SPAC deals next year in space. I think it's inevitable. There's a lot of great targets out there and I think, or maybe I won't say great targets, but there are a lot of obvious targets out there. And I think that they will go public. And I think next year, call it in the summer, is gonna be where you start to see a lot of that activity start to get exciting again.
0: What a great perspective. Yeah, I I had no idea. That's a great bit of information that I think it gives us all something to look for next year. Um, Was Mo right? We'll see. Mo, you have a pulse on the industry that that maybe a lot of people don't get with, you know, running payload and every day getting to see the the biggest highlights going on in the industry. What do you think is the most exciting thing in the industry happening today?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Just because it's very top of mind right now, I think that what's happening in surrounding the ISS and the future of the ISS, I think is wildly interesting. I think that not just from a business model perspective, right? What it means to be building a commercial space station, but I mean, from like the geopolitical aspect of it all, having a space station and what does it mean for the country? And we all know that space at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, has a significant military angle to it, right? And I think everyone knows that whatever country or region can can rule space has a significant military advantage. And that's just the reality of, 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 of how that 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 all works. But I think that if you look across the sort of geopolitical landscape right now, you know, you have China, currently building the Tiangong space station, right? And they're, you know, well underway and that should be completed by end of next year, early the year after, right? Russia has plans of deploying their own space station and they clearly have expertise and, and heritage doing that, right? And I think their plan is to do it in the next five years. And all of this is ha- happening while the ISS is pretty much falling apart, right? There's reports of cracks in certain modules, there's modules misfiring, causing the station to lose altitude control, all these crazy things, right? That you just think, it's too early for this to be happening especially when the iss is supposed to be decommissioned in 2030 and i think that these bases in sort of like low earth orbit represent hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue potential from a research perspective from a manufacturing perspective so from my perspective i think that what's happening there is going to be really interesting to follow and you know we've written about it before and we're going to continue writing about it the office actually the office of inspector general of nasa released a report today that reviews um, NASA's management of the ISS and commercialization efforts. So it's actually very top of mind. I I haven't read through the entire piece yet, but I know it's going around. And one of the things that's discussed is health risk mitigation plans, which highlights the research that happens on the ISS that helps us understand the health risks from deep space travel, right? So super important, right? We want to go to Mars. We want to go beyond the moon, et cetera. We need to make sure that we have all those health risks kind of mapped out and we know what it means to live in space for a long time. And it actually says in the article something like eight out of like the 12 critical human health risks, and they name a bunch, like vision, sensory, you know, cancer radiation, that all requires the ISS for testing. It won't be done by 2030, which is the last kind of like extreme date of when the ISS could be retired. Right. So I say that because it's one of those things I just don't think gets enough media coverage. Like Having a low Earth orbit platform not only is it billions of dollars of revenue potential for the commercial industry, but it's also represents a tremendous amount of research and science that's dependent on us to achieve all of our other kind of long-term space goals. And you know, I think one of the things that the report does really well is you we talk about what their funding needs are and what the Congress appropriations are and the gap, right? And I think that gap is going to continue to close because I think Congress in the U.S. is going to see the enormous amount of capital that other countries are throwing into their own space stations, and they're going to realize that the developed world, or the Western world is what I'll say, needs a platform in low Earth orbit. It just, it's, it's its a necessary for a lot of different reasons. And it's going to be, in my opinion, one of the most exciting things to watch outside of Starship getting to the moon and beyond. But I think building these kind of orbiting infrastructures are going to be very interesting and very important for the long-term kind of space economy and the future of the space economy.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And speaking of of op-eds, how long before we start seeing op-eds from Mo Islam on Payload? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got such a great perspective and background and such a wealth of information on what's going on. How long before we start
2: seeing that? Well, Clint, you're too kind and maybe it's just, I've been very good at pulling the wool over people's eyes, yes. <laughs> but I would say that, so, so op-eds are 100% on our radar and we're going to start probably if I'm being realistic, it could be as soon as in the next few weeks, but realistically, we're going to really start having more and op-eds starting in January. And it's not be just me. I mean, as much as I like to think people want to hear what I say, there's a lot more interesting people out there in the industry, and we've already spoken to a number of people who have already agreed to write op-eds. So I would say perhaps this year, but definitely starting next year, I think you're going to see a lot of great guest writers that are going to come in, talk about a lot of interesting things, uh, a lot of controversial things that I'm sure will, will stir the pot. And we love that. We want people to come in and, and say crazy things or outlandish things You know that can be controversial to the space economy and what it means and what people believe the future will look like. You know We want to encourage debate. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So we're excited. In addition to that, we're going to do a lot more other things. So be on the lookout. We have a few other product lines that we're going to be um, unveiling. But I will always say, no matter what we end up doing and no matter what the future looks like, our daily newsletter will always be free. And it's always going to be accessible to the industry because we hope that it becomes a very important and valuable part of everyone's daily lives. And that's never going to... Well, I don't want to say never, but I am very confident we will never charge for the daily newsletter. We may create some type of paid research product down the line, but we want people to enjoy the daily newsletter. So that will remain free.
0: That's great. I I find it super informative. Read it every day. And I think it'd be great if you could tell our listeners how can they subscribe to your newsletter on a daily basis. Before we wrap up, I mean, it's been really, really great having you on the show. You've been tremendously informative you're always welcome back. If you want to come back and crash the party when we're having any other guests, we'd love to have you. But tell the listeners how they can find your newsletter.
2: Well, thank you, Clint. I appreciate that. Well, anyone can read us, payloadspace.com. We have a very simple sign-up sheet on the homepage that you can sign up and, and you'll start to get the daily newsletter the next day. And we are rebuilding our website. Our website's a bit sparse right now, but I think in the next few weeks, you're going to see a brand new website. And that's going to enable people not only to read the daily newsletter in their email, but also engage with us on, on our website. So we're excited to see how that all comes to fruition.
0: Great. Well, I'm looking forward to the changes. Again, always welcome back. Thank you, Mo Islam, for being on our show, Space in 60.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you, Leroy. Thank you.
0: And we'll see you at the
1: uh, Starship launch.
2: Absolutely. I'll see you there.
1: (laughs) Thanks.
0: What a great guest with Mo. That was awesome. Having him on the show. That was, I, I definitely learned a lot today. That's for sure. He's one of the most like informed people that I've met in the industry. Like the breadth of knowledge of what's going on in current events is, is tremendous. Yeah, but the, and the understanding of everything
1: behind it, just from his investment side, and you know what it takes to really build
0: these companies and become successful. Exactly. I mean, hundred and thirty billion dollars sitting on the table in SPACs waiting to happen. You know, that's something if you're if you're an investor or these companies are considering going public. You know, being part of these early to be part of that SPAC awakening that's possibly coming, the wave that's coming toward. The middle of 2022 or next year, you know, in in Mo's opinion, you know, in fairness to him, that wasn't advice. So I, I'm sure he didn't mean that as investment <laughs> advice. But his perspective and background from several different places to have that type of insight, I think it's really valuable to to us in the industry. Absolutely, I think,
1: like you said, it kind of shifts the way that this can all grow as well. Because you, I think it was a great comparison to the biotech industry, and you know how that grew, how that flourished, and where it's at. And, you know, the future of space and, and how it can grow.
0: Yep. And, you know, to the oncoming, I guess, growth of advertising and media in the space industry, it's got to come, right? You know, with the, the business growing as big as it is and as fast as it is, that's going to have to be some aspect to help these companies cut through the clutter. Absolutely. And one of the early
1: ones, at least I see out there, is former guest, Life Ship. Yeah, definitely see a lot of advertisement with, for them, which is great.
0: Yeah, I, I do see them all over. Actually, a, a user is, of LifeShip myself, haven't sent it off yet, but just got it last week at our in for my anniversary gift. I was able to get the ability to send my DNA to the moon.
1: <laughs> now the question is: Is the wife going with you, or is she
0: sending you alone? Maybe a different ship? I'm not sure. <laughs> she's want sending you to the for moon. For sure. She's going to Mars. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think that companies like LifeShip, they have a reach that's far beyond just the ordinary space industry like us. I mean, the space industry is, isn't ordinary, but there's the core group of people that work within the space industry. But someone like, like LifeShip, they can advertise well beyond what the traditional space market is. I, I think there are probably millions of people that would want to send their DNA to space. So I'm I'm excited to see companies like that. Grow some success in our our industry and then expand as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And spread it across everything that's that's out there. Life ship's very unique, but then also the other pieces of everything that touches space to be able to advertise and use sites like Payload to, to do that. It's gonna be
0: exciting. It's gonna grow fast. Yeah. And I hope Mo comes back again. That was one of the most fun and entertaining conversations that that I think we've had on the show. And you know, if we could get him maybe on the show with another guest sometime and have them both on there together. I think that would lend a tremendous perspective. Maybe get someone from the engineering side and then have him from the the business side on there to debate some of these topics. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yep. So Mo, if you're listening, we'd love to have you back. Come back and join us sometime. Maybe we'll even let you meet Thruster. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the next episode of Space in 60. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions and we'll try to feature them in the future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where New Space speaks.